Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Moran, host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing from Eileen Scipioni. Eileen is a friend of Eternal City and has been a biblical counselor for many years. She shares her conversion story and what it was like growing up in a Mennonite church community. She shares her wisdom on a wide range of topics from anxiety and fear to female sexuality to talking someone down from a panic attack. I trust you'll be encouraged. So I'm here in the study. <laughs> this is the study, right? Well, we call it a library. Oh, it sure is a library, but it seems like a study. It's my office and... Uh, it is also a library yeah. because those are George's books. I love it. <laughs> many commentaries, many dictionaries, right. many yeah. notebooks. It looks great. I, I love it. <laughs> so we're here in the Scipioni Library study, and I am having the privilege to interview Eileen here. And Eileen, we could start by you sharing your story about where you grew up and like your first introduction to the church and Christianity, Christian home, non-Christian home. And then your conversion, if you remember it. <laughs> it's unforgettable. Yes. Um, and a lot of the folks from your church listening to this know George. Yes, they do. And because uh, he, he preached it or he did a conference or something like that. He preached on divorce from the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. And then he also did a Q&A afterward, which was really helpful, which is a podcast as okay. well on culture conversations all right yeah okay good um i what i want to talk about is my culture because our 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 culture really does impact so much of who we are mm. and church and culture so overlap and so then we see that sometimes um the culture takes over mm. some things that in, in scripture. So you, it's uh, we see this all around the world. George and I traveled all over the world. Yeah. We saw this, um, but both are really important. Understanding what church you grew up in, the kinds of teaching, mm -hmm. and and your culture. So I grew up in Temple, Pennsylvania, Berks County, in a German Mennonite home. Well, wow. German, French, English, but um, Mennonites. Mennonite Brethren in Christ, which is also very, very fundamentalistic. Yeah. Um, and no makeup, right, in that community? Oh, it's no, a whole lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but our rules were, and this was my culture, my church culture, is our. I got the idea that our church probably was the only true church in mm. the world, which is extremely common to think that. Um and it was more social than theological. Okay. We understood salvation um, by believing in Christ alone. But, but basically, you showed that you were a real Christian. Your fruit was if you did not dance, drink, mm. smoke, play cards, or go to movies. Many conservative Baptists. Yeah, I've heard that. that. In similarity. Yeah. What yes. year about was this? Uh, I was born in 48, so this was up into the 50s okay. and the 60s. A very white church, Mennonites are very white church, yeah. um, pretty white neighborhood, white high school, mm -hmm. um, but we did have a lot of Puerto Ricans come in. Okay. Um, you know, to, 
to mushrooms, pick mushrooms. But my, my it was very enclosed, very, mm. very protected. Um, <clears throat> didn't know many people of color. Mm. Um, I didn't know too many people who weren't Mennonite. At first, yeah, is this rural, like a rural uh, area? suburban, okay. suburban. Um, although a lot of Mennonites are farmers. Yeah, my dad was a carpenter, very blue collar. Might, um, and in in those Mennonite communities, their pastors. You'd be interested in this, Chris. Their pastors did not have any training. Mm. So there was no standard of like no, no, well, ordination or whatever. They didn't even well, they didn't even have a doctrine of. Uh, uh, faith mm. there was nothing that was actually written down it was all passed on orally so they got to the place where they decided <clears throat> they'd better train some of their pastors to find out what they believed they wanted a written faith in order so kind of like a statement of faith statement of faith okay so they sent five of their guys and they didn't know what seminary to send them to because the Mennonites didn't have seminaries they didn't train them so they sent them to Westminster Seminary no way in Philly in Philly <laughs> yes and wondered how because Oh my! How it was, and and so they were so uneducated, so that when these five guys came back and wrote up a faith and order, they brought it up at their at their group meeting. They didn't call them presbyteries, but their group meeting, yeah. where all these ministers got together, and the ministers passed it without reading it. Oh my! Because of course they trusted these five guys who went to some you know heady uh, place and yeah. and learned. So anyway, the entire denomination split. Because it, it was reformed, and then uh, the, and the Arminians, so there was a huge split over and the Westminster deal. Over the, the five, doctrines of grace, the five wow. yeah, five points of Cal- yeah, Calvinism. Because yeah. my the the pastor of that little church came back four points, four points. Limited Calvinist. atonement was the issue. Absolutely, yeah, it always is. So, um, <laughs> but then, uh, but just so you know that my um, my own testimony is that. I was a person, I was a people pleaser, mm. and I was always for the underdog. Um, that was my personality. Mm. Um, I got affirmed for being pretty and sweet, never smart, and, and never, um, but, you know, not even for, for fighting for the underdog. I was just, I was sweet, and I was pretty, and that was very bad. Whatever you're affirmed for as a kid is really hard to give up when you're mm. older. Like an identity. Just an aside. Yeah, yeah. it's your identity. Yeah. But I liked I liked fighting for the underdog. Um, so I grew up in this very, very stable home that my parents never fought. Nice. Um, that I heard. I'm sure there was, but they kept it away from yeah. the children. Very protected. Um because we didn't dance, drink, smoke, play cards, or go to movies. <laughs> so the Mennonite, real quick, just a little side trail here. The Mennonites were not quite Amish, right? No, no. And they there's, used there's 200 varieties of Mennonites. Okay. And, and, and many more varieties of Amish. We just don't know that. Yeah, it all depends on your individual so bishop. So they're like sects. Like yeah, the individual bishops decide what you can do and uh, what you can't do. Okay, because so the Mennonites we, still kind of will wear yeah, they the, the bonnets they, and like but, the... But it's different co- head coverings. Okay. And uh, we were so liberal as Mennonites hmm. that we didn't have head per, head a common head covering. You just went to church with your little hat on, your own version of a hat, but you didn't you didn't have a, a common hat like gotcha. the Mennonites and the more... Cons- and then we didn't paint our bumpers. Meaning? Uh, oh, they painted the bumpers. Um, the, the, the certain Mennonites, because that was vain to see a, a reflection. No mirrors. Uh, so your bumpers were, were chrome, wow. and you could see. So so we called we were not the black bumper Mennonites, because we did not paint our bumpers. Wow. And, um, I've never heard of that. And the women were, were um, only, the only jewelry was um, 
their wedding bands and watches. Mm. So very plain, very, very, very plain. Mm. Lots of rules. But there wasn't Christian school in those days, and there was no homeschool. So what were these Mennonite people to do? They right. sent them to your local public school, which was pretty good because they were allowed to use the Bible in the public school. But then 1960 came along when I went to um, junior high, and every, everything was changing. The culture was changing. Yeah. And uh, so that's when my seventh grade teacher said to us, don't believe anything um, your parents tell you. Oh, my. Yes. Don't believe anything the church tells you. Don't believe anything I tell you. You just study it all for yourself and decide. You tell seventh graders that, and they're just like, what? Yeah. So I came home and told my father, and um, he knew that they, <laughs> something, he said, I think the commies have taken over. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, so I grew up in a in a very, very fundamentalist, strict home, and uh, but yet, yet loving, very loving. And um, I would say I had the privilege or the blessing of having a loving, stable Absolutely. home. Yeah. Where we actually ate together, yeah, and and my mother gave me a verse for the day as I went off to my little nice. public school every day. She like read it to you and read no, it she over she you? picked it out um, and said, "This was your verse for the day," and I had to say it before oh, okay. I went out the driveway, you know, to walk to school. So very sheltered. Yeah. You could call that privilege, but um, I would say it's a blessing. To I would have two say parents <laughs> and meals with your parents yes. and verses before. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Yeah, and then and then um, first you always had to uh, work before you played. Mm. You know, work, chores oh, first. Oh yeah, get your chores done, then you can go play. Yeah. And um, and I think my mother only had two rules, and it was uh, love Jesus and have fun. Because after you worked, um, then then she was really into play. That's great. Oh yeah. yeah. So here, there's my background. But so when does grab God grab my heart? Of course, I was baptized at age five. Okay. Because I didn't want to go to hell. Yeah. Is so, Mennonites like Baptists? Yes. Yes. In that they sense? Ba- yes, they're adult. Baptist. Confession baptism. Okay. And so um, we went, but they had sawdust trails. I don't know if you know the sawdust trail. You'd go to a revival meeting um, where you had a passionate preacher up there. Okay. Yes. In fact, my, my mother told me that she came to the gospel through Brother Bethel, who was the only African-American she ever knew. He came and did revival meetings in their uh, Mennonite church. Interesting. And he was so convicting, so much more interesting and convicting than their preachers <laughs> that she came to Christ, she said, mm. with Brother Bethel. So, Fascinating. So, uh, so what's a sawdust trail? Is that the sawdust a... trail? Is when you go to a revival meeting and there's there's it's sawdust on the floor, and especially up front where you go up for the invitation, they put sawdust. Why? Because you're going to kneal. Uh, you don't want to kneel on concrete. Oh, I see. So there's sawdust. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, so it was then, like a padding, like a. Yes. So that yeah. so that when you when the invitation, the just as I am came, mm-hmm. you 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 know come receive Jesus or rededicate your life to the Lord. Yep. It's yep. Very. Oh yeah. So then you. Walked up and you knelt, and um, so my brother and I went. He was six, I was five. We were baptized in a swimming pool, and I was like same day or uh, soon, a couple, not too long after. Yeah. And I was uh, very confident I was going to heaven. Nice. And uh, and I and I, I I would tell my neighbor girls about that too. You know, they needed Jesus, and I I used to point up to the sky. He's coming back. So, very, very sheltered. But then the 60s, that, you know, then the sexual revolution yeah, came. Yeah. And then what so often happens is um, you start doubting what your parents said. You know, my school well, That's was, what you're being told to I do. was at school, you know, and then uh, 
I was um, I was being taught a very very different message, and but the, the question there wasn't freedom in these churches, and and it is true today in some evangelical churches, kids are not allowed to say what they're really thinking and what really feeling. They don't have good answers. Mm. They're not invited to ask the hard questions. Sure. They aren't. To kind of challenge the faith in a in a respectful way. Yes, yes. But if you have trouble, you, there's things in Scripture that don't that you say that's contradictory. Well, you're just supposed to have faith in you know. Yeah, instead of giving a good answer. Yeah, let let's study this together. Oh no, yeah. I actually don't know. Let's study this together. But I wasn't this great intellectual. But I had some some questions. So when it was in um, when I first heard the doctrines of grace, I would have said I was maybe night. 19 years old, 1819, that pastor had was preaching the doctrines of grace in our church split. Mm. Um, so there's still Mennonite community. Mennonite brethren in Christ. Okay. But, but they but had, because I think it's somewhere along the line, they became Bible fellowship because they gave up foot washing and they took on four, the, the four points of Calvinism. Uh, you're going to have to explain that. You don't foot, know foot washing. I mean, I know in the Bible, foot washing. But well, what yeah, is... the, the Mennonites were foot washers. You had a service, just like Seventh-day Adventists do that, too. Um, you have a service once a month, like communion. It's a, it's a sacrament. Oh. And then you come up front, and, um, of course, the women wash the women's feet, and the men wash okay. the men's feet. And then, so it's serving one another. Okay. So they actually have a ceremony. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, so they gave. And everybody does it to everybody. Those who were wanted to go through it. I don't. It wasn't mandatory. Hmm. Um, but also, Mennonites are pacifists. Right. So that so they gave up pacifism, gave up foot washing, and took on the four the doctrines of grace. Four of the four of the four points. Yeah. So my 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 family was not happy with that pastor, mm. but I loved what he was teaching. And my brother did too. And then I um, I went off to college, and my father. This is interesting for those who know me. My father was a uh, a carpenter. He didn't. Women didn't need to go to college. They were just going to be married and have children anyway. So, mm. so was it was very rare for women to go to college. Um, there, yeah. I mean, my poor mother. She only got to eighth grade. Her, her parents didn't have the money to, the twenty five cents to take the bus to the high school. Mm. And so, uh, and my father was in the war. They were very blue-collar, did not believe you needed an education. Yeah. But I wanted an education. I wanted to go to college um, in, in math, and I lasted one semester. I failed out of math, went into special education for the visually impaired, okay. and lived happily ever after. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, um, but then but I was very, I had a very wild well, wild for our term. Wild is a relative term That's right. to a Mennonite girl who was taught never to dance, drink, smoke, play cards, or go right. to movies. So you go to the I think I danced, kinda... played cards, which is gambling, you know. Went to movies. My first movie was at age 16. Um, drank a little bit, and I smoked all yeah. my junior year. And I was a Presbyterian. You do all those things all the time. <laughs> I know. Please. She's I mean, offered they... me cigars before the interview here. <laughs> Well, see, the thing is, they didn't even talk about, you know, rock and roll, dance, um, sex, drugs, because if you didn't do those five things, of course you didn't yeah, do right. the others. Don't need to address Elizabeth the culture. That. She grew up in that same, those same circles. But um, but I was still, my confidence was then I was a, a, a good person. I, I worked with inner varsity. Mm. I led Bible studies. I led people to the Lord. Yeah. During that same time. That college, those college years. So I'm. I'm so living. IVP is not just a publisher; it was it, also no. oh, a, a, a ministry, campus ministry, campus ministry, okay. InterVarsity. 
So uh, I, I definitely was leading two lives. Hmm. And the hypocrisy bothered me a little bit, but not too much to stop. Yeah. Um, so my, my church family, other people at, at college and university thought I was an amazing, godly Christian, and the friends I partied with were sure I wasn't. Mm. Um, but so how, how did this all turn around? I went to a camp in Maryland for Christian camp called Hilltop Ranch, and um, there I met George Scipione. Oh, wow. Um, how old were you? Well, the first time I went as a camper at 16, but then I went to work there. I was maybe 18, 19. Okay. And he's two years older than me. Um, all I knew was that he was the crazy guy up there on stage doing an, Im- an imitation of bacon frying. That was how you did, you know, icebreakers. For when you have teenagers, you got to do something funny. But uh, that's who he was. But this camp is an all-white camp, almost. Okay. Right. There's one African-American at this camp mm. from Long Island. And oh, I just fell in love with him. He was so fun. Loved to dance. I loved his music. <laughs> <laughs> loved everything about about him, and we developed a relationship. Hmm. And George was over him; he was like his senior, so he was so. He like worked for George. Yeah, in kind a sense. of. Yes. Yeah. So George felt, and George was from the inner city, and he he was bound to determine that Bill was going to be treated right in that all white camp. Hmm. And so he really took him under wing, and 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 he really did his best to keep Bill and I together. Yeah, it's true. I've. I have the letters to prove it. Hmm. Um, so Bill and I were engaged to be married. My family said, um, if you marry Bill, don't ever come home again. Wow. Because you're going to have children that are mixed race, and they will suffer horribly. So hmm. no, don't do it. So we brought my pastor in. And I don't remember what advice, but it was pretty scary. But I continued on with that relationship, George encouraging me in that relationship. Wow. Yep. Um, so... Uh, I can't remember how long that was, a year or two, but I finally broke up with Bill because my own motives scared me. Mm. I didn't like I didn't like the motives of my heart because the, the motives of my heart were I'm just for the underdog and I like being different. Mm. You can't build a marriage on that. True that, yeah. So as much as I cared about him, I broke up. Mm. And so a couple months later, I run into George at an event he asked me, how are you and Bill doing? I told him we'd broken up. I was sobbing. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so uh, then I didn't see him again for a long time. Invited him to speak at one of my little Mennonite, well, not, not Mennonite anymore. I invited him to, uh, to speak. And he brought the most intellectual talk to these junior hires that I was, it was a VBS. And he was over their head. But I loved it. I had never right. heard anything so amazing. So we started writing, we started writing, and finally um, uh, he gave me a book called The Distinguishing Traits of Christian Character by Gardner Spring. Hmm. Never heard of it. Um, disting- and and God, God's timing is perfect, and the Holy Spirit showed me that all those distinguishing traits, the gifts of the Spirit, I had none of them mm. in reality. I was able to perform all of them. Yeah. But none of them were real and showed me that for the very first time. Because repentance isn't part of Mennonite theology. Okay. It's very, very legalistic and moralistic. more like a uh, decisionism. What we yes, very okay. much. And you just have to, if you don't do these things, but you didn't, nobody, they don't teach you how to love. It'd be gentle, patient, mm, kind. Fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, that's, that's there, but, you know, and self-control. I mean, 
they're all obese. <laughs> Have you ever seen them? It's like, what? Um, so I'd never heard of the fruit of the Spirit, really, in, in a personal way. God used it, and I would say that was the first time I saw that I was in desperate need of a Savior. Mm. Do yes, you think I, you were born just, again before that? I, that's a, people ask me that question all the time. So I just go back to Ephesians 1. Now, it was before the foundations of the world. Yeah. But they say, well, if you had died before, I said, well, obviously it didn't happen. So when, But that was the first time I knew real repentance and, 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 then, and then faith in Christ alone, mm. not faith in anything yeah. I brought to it. So, so I say through my conversion. Through that book that George gave you. Yeah, through that book. I was, I don't know, 21, somewhere in there. Mm. And just leaving my crazy lifestyle, you know. Yeah. Um, so while I'm leading Bible study. So, you know, Christians can be amazing hypocrites. Oh, yeah. Yes. If you're trained in it, if you grew up in it. Yeah, that's yeah, true. If, if you grew up in it. Yeah, you have these standards and you have to look the You know part. the language. Yeah. You know the language. Um, so that's where I was. And then eventually, um, George and I were writing. I read this book. And then um, he asked me out. Finally, it took him forever. And... Um, my parents did not like him because mm-hmm. he was from a seminary called Westminster. And they remembered that oh. that's that nasty place that <laughs> corrupts good pastors. Wow. But anyway, so they, but they eventually came to love him. Grandchildren always do that if we got married and had kids. There you go, yeah. You know, so, so he was so good for the family. And I was, I was so drawn to him because he was a godly leader. Mm. Um, I would be in prior relationships. I'm the one who said, let's study the Bible. Let's pray. Yeah. You know, I was a leader. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it was from a heart of faith, but I knew, I knew what Christians are supposed was to do. Was that modeled for you in your home growing up? My mother was the spiritual leader okay. in that home, but I, I wanted a man who was, who for the, for the, for him, the buck stopped yeah. there. Yeah. And, and initiated spiritual things. I was the initiator, mm. which was... Do you think you got that from your mom? Because I think there's a big... Like, like we do leadership development for family in our church, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the guys have never seen it. Like, it's... They've just never experienced it because they're first-generation Christians. Yes. Or if their fathers were Christians, they were not taking that responsibility right. But on. remember, now, that generation that my father grew up in is, is a, a, a good man. Had He... he, he Took his kids, his family to church. Mm-hmm. He put a roof over their head and food on the table. Mm. There was nothing about teach them from the Bible, mm. read to them. So um, it just wasn't expected. Was it? Wasn't, wasn't part of the, no. Christian discipleship. We could say in 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 general fundamentalist and evangelical circles. Gotcha. But he, so he was a good dad by those standards. Yeah, yeah. But my mother was the spiritual gotcha. head. She trained us, um, and uh, and so we talked to her. A little bit. We didn't really talk to my dad. So so here I am finding meeting a, a, a Christian who's a, a, a strong Christian and a leader. And um, so uh, so in spite of my parents not being too happy about it, because <laughs> that means all their children were going to be baptized. Oh, my word. <laughs> was he a Baptist at the time? Or no, he'd pres- become a Presbyterian. Okay, he was so he, raised yeah, conservative yeah. Baptist. He'd become That's Presbyterian. That's right. I remember that now, yeah. yeah because of Jay Adams and others. Yes, well, he went yeah. to Westminster, and yeah. he studied that issue quite a bit. Now, he never pushed it on me, because hmm. um, Paul came along fairly quickly, like in 10 months. And so he said, you don't have... You, you just take as long as you want to study this. Nice. There is no pressure. You do what you want. And um, you don't even have to stand up here with me if you don't want to. When, if, it, if, if we do, I want to baptize them. But yeah. So so it, I was six months intensely studying that issue. 
it took off. You know, I was not going to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, three yeah, bags full. And he didn't want me to. That's good, too. He respected me from the beginning. He was trained by Jay Adams, and he watched Jay counsel, and he saw um, that Ephesians 5 was a very, uh, what had often been misused. It was unbalanced, you know. Mm. In, in a lot of evangelical and fundamentalistic churches, and even some Reformed churches. The submit part. Submit was yeah. was center stage. And and the lay down your life for your wife part, the treat, you know, washer with the word, yeah. that was definitely small, mm. but not in Jay's world, Jay Adams. And he taught it to George. So George um, never made a decision, you know, without me being a very, very big That's part great. of it, you know, especially a big decision yeah. and uh, treated me with so much respect. So and, and believed that it was his responsibility before God to develop my gifts. Mm. So, teach, lead Bible studies, whatever gifts you have. That's why he's encouraged me to write that book. Yeah. That he's been, and get me into counseling. So, it wasn't just because he didn't want to be counseling women all the time. He always writes, <laughs> tells the story. But I just didn't want these women in here. You know, that it was just, had to, it was fraught with danger. So, Eileen, you counsel them. It wasn't that as much as it was wanting to see my, my gifts great. developed. Yeah, I love so, it. So that's how, how that came about. So I grew a lot um, in Reformed teaching. But, but I wasn't, um, like I still, my, my culture was still very limited. Wasn't very wide yet. Mm. You know, going to Westminster and those circles. Um, now you, were you in seminary too? Or that was no, no, later? No, I did much seminary much later. Okay. No, but then he, his first pastorate was rural New Jersey also. Very white, mm. um, agricultural community, you know. So you put a city boy and we put him out in the country. Oh for yeah, eight how'd years. that go? Huh? <laughs> well, he did go out. Somebody tried to teach him how to milk a cow. Oh my! Yeah, but those of you know George, he's very competitive. And there was there was a church baseball league, and he always tells his story. He said, if Satan had, he could have destroyed the church in the first century if he just set him up in, in baseball leagues. Because the, the you put Christians together Tension. and they're competitive. Yeah, yeah. You put them on the ball field. Yeah, he got thrown out of a game. He from the pulpit. He asked forgiveness to his congregation. Oh my! Yes, he says I my behavior at that game this week was was wrong, and I want to be forgiven, and I acknowledge that. Yes, he's so competitive. We both were competitive. Yeah. But yeah, he was a humble man. That's <laughs> funny. He was. So now he told me a man. story one time about. And I'm thinking it's this time about having hardly any food and, like, you had to make some, like, crazy meals at that time. Is this this church? Yes, that's and his like first church. people came well. over as farmers and were like, we yes. feed this to the animals. We, did, we, had, we were on a pretty limited budget, and I, I had that cookbook, some of you know it, called um, More With Less Mennonite Cookbook. There you go. And I cooked with soybeans. And, and barley. And so we had some farmers over. And I, I had this casserole, soybean casserole. And those farmers, and he was an elder. He looked at his son and he said, we feed these to the cows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't have much money. Yeah, $11,000 is what he got paid. Um, for a year. For a year. Man. But at, with the manse. And the manse was very nice. But there was no there was no savings, no, nothing. Yeah, but God... He, just, he got you through it. He sure did. So by that, you mean a house to live in? Yeah, we lived property. They call it, a, like a, some denominations parsonage. call it a parsonage. Some yeah. call it a manse. Yeah. Presbyterians call it a manse. We lived in there for eight years and had uh, four kids there. 
and he pastored there for eight years. Wow. In, and, in uh, New Jersey, rural in New, New Jersey. Jersey. And I, um, this is important, I think, for my future story. I mean, I had, <laughs> I don't think I pointed this out yet. I have this pioneering spirit. Um, so just because somebody else says that you can't do this doesn't mean you really can't. Mm. So I home birthed. I homeschooled. First person in my county, possibly my state, that ever homeschooled. Wow. I home funeraled. Wow. Family run funeral when my mom died. Wow. Why pay somebody else to do it if you can do it yourself? That's the rule, mm. you know, because we didn't have money. Sure. Um, you know, you don't you pay somebody that little, and and you just make do. You got to make it work. Yeah. Make it work. Get creative. Get yeah. Get creative. <laughs> so, so um, but but again, when you're rural, you know, it's very cultural not people of color, mm. but what really gave us a, a bigger cultural view and understand um, these kinds of differences was when he left the pastorate, went to San Diego, learned and was biblical counseling there mm -hmm. in the seminary. Then you had people from Brazil, all over the world, I'm thinking, mm. um, many, many different ethnicities coming to that seminary. You're teaching them biblical counseling. That widens your horizon. Sure. And then he's asked to, to travel all over the world. Yeah. And together. So um, we saw Africa, Asia, Europe, mm. South America. And I'll tell you what that taught me is that one group looking at another group with suspicion because they're different. I mean, here we would call that racism. Sure, prejudice, yeah. Oh, prejudice, it's yeah, a both. bias. Yeah. But, but we saw it everywhere. Mm. I think it's a condition of the human yeah, heart. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and so we have it. You know, am I guilty? Yeah. Yeah. I used to think... Everybody I used has to a form think of Mennonites, prejudice. I used to think Mennonites, they were the only true church. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> they were. Yeah. And, and, and our little group, our food types were the best. Mm. You know, and then I met an Italian, and I said, well, maybe we can have Italian. <laughs> but, no, you're just, I think our natural, sinful, selfish way is, is to figure, if it was a relatively peaceful family, that your ways are, are, are mm. better than somebody else's sure. ways. Your everything's better, and that yeah. needs to be repented of. And that is a culture thing. It's a culture yeah. thing. Whether it's a small family culture, it's still culture. Yeah, or a larger culture like the right. United States or rural United States or inner city United States. That's all a culture. But it came out of my heart. I mean, my church never told me that theirs was the only perfect church. Mm. I just so you came to out. that place. Ah, yes. Yeah. Because we, we were so sure of our answers. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and nobody brought up the hard questions. So so that's that's in the heart. Yeah. Like when we saw in Africa, it was tribalism. The one tribe hated sure. another. Um, when we were in Japan... They're they're very such an honor shame culture. Yeah, yeah. And and Koreans are definitely not good. From a Japan perspective. From a Japanese huh, perspective, Koreans are. And it, among Asians, there's a hierarchy of 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 and it has nothing to do with skin tones. Class system. Class kind of? yes, just like in India, yeah, there's India, a caste system. Big, yeah. In Asia, the Chinese are at the top, and the Cambodians and the Laos are at the bottom. Hmm. And all those other, you know, that's the way they treat each other. Yeah. So it's prejudice, it's bias, mm. it's and it's you guys. It's that's finger pointing. Yeah. And I hear it now in these racial conversations. Yeah. You know. There's a lot of it. You liberals. Yeah. You conservatives. Yeah. You this group. You that that group. Yeah. And we don't realize, you know, we're individuals. Yeah. 
we can't just stereotype that group and say yeah, well, it's not nuanced enough it's it's very easy to paint a whole group you throw someone into a group and then that group's the problem you paint and with then a broad demonize. brush yeah god treats us as individuals yeah so we we were able to, to that that made a huge difference in our marriage and our ministry so real quick it just dawned on me i've heard quite a few people say that one of the gifts you can give your children if it's possible is to travel a bit so that you can get a wider perspective on yes. the globe than your awesome. little... And if you can't afford to travel, bring these people into your home. Mm. So every time a missionary came through, of course, you know, that we always, you know, anybody who was in any way different from us, bring them into your home. Mm. Let your, you know, get to know their individuality. Let your children see. Yeah, that's good. Um, so when we moved to San Diego, um, we were in a very diverse neighborhood, very Hispanic um, some Asian, some black. And so our children, not at, at church and school, it was almost all white. Hmm. I mean, not maybe about 90%. Mm-hmm. But in the neighborhood, it was yeah, very where you diverse. you your home. Yeah. Yes. And so that was very good for the children. Yeah. So give them as much exposure as possible yeah. to different ideas, um, different looks. Um, but even of different religions, as long as you know the core of their own. You know, like kids go to college and they take a religion. Yeah, they're course. gonna they're gonna come in contact with ideas contrary to the biblical worldview. And I don't All, think you should hide them. Yes. But let them let, let children say what they really think and they really feel. And if your reaction to all these issues, to religious issues, when they ask sex questions, yeah. your reaction has to be, well, thank you for bringing mm. that up, and not be in any way defensive. Create an or environment threatened. of openness and conversation. Can I tell you a story real quick? Yes. So. Two nights ago, three nights ago, uh, we, like I was telling you earlier, we moved our bedroom downstairs and we had the TV up and, and uh, Addie went looking for Megan downstairs, our daughter, and there was a show on and I come down and she's wide-eyed watching the show and hear uh, a little seven, eight-year-old girl on the show, maybe nine, said to her parents, when I get older, I want to be in a relationship with a woman like you have with dad. That's the kind of love relationship I want. And they all celebrated it and they hugged her and they, you know, basically made a big deal of her coming out at this young age. And so Addie was like, what, what, like, I don't understand what's going on there. And this isn't the first time we've had this that discussion with her. But what we did was we, we kind of paused it, said, all right, let's talk about it then. And now's the time. So Meg was like, so what was wrong with that? What was wrong with that? What was the problem? Mm-hmm. And what we've tried to show is like, hey, God made us male and female. This is Genesis chapter one. And then, you know, you move into chapter two and it's the two male and female shall become one flesh. And then Jesus repeats that in the New Testament. And so she was able to point out like because God made male and female and he made them for each other to marry. That's the biblical standard. She was able to say that's wrong. Um, and and part of me is tempted to just shelter her like I don't really want her to watch that at eight. Like, I don't want her to be exposed to that. But then at the same time, I lo- it's like we need to f- develop a discerning heart in the kids. We have and to. And they are going to be exposed to it other places so, so much earlier than ever before. Yeah. Uh, especially if they have drag queens in the libraries. I yeah. mean, yeah. they're going to be exposed to it. So isn't it more wonderful to hear it presented in a positive way, you know, at home? Yeah. Because, you know, I, um, I I ran a crisis pregnancy center. I didn't tell you about that for yeah. 10 years in San this? Diego what, what, okay. from, from 84 to 94. 
Okay. I ran a crisis pregnancy center, Whoa. the first evangelical. Catholics used to do it, birthright, but we did it. Because mm. we were out there picketing and then realized we have to provide some option for these single mm. moms. So not just say, not just say we're anti-abortion, you know, but we're you also going to provide an alternative right, so, for you. So I, I did both. Mm. I really did way too much. But I did both. And so we, so the kids, we, we wanted to be honest with them on these issues. Because um, we knew we, they would hear about it anyway. But later on, the kids would say, you didn't tell us about this, and you didn't tell us about that when they grew up and become adults. I said, you know what? We, we told you what we, the best we could at the sure. time. But uh, I think the tendency for us parents is, is to shock. We're shocked because it's stuff that we, we, we didn't know about that at eight. Mm-hmm. And so you think, no, how, can, how can they be okay with that at yeah. eight? But because our world is changing, we do need to, to present things like that to them. Mm. And give them a biblical worldview. And we also, I forgot to mention this, we also said, however, we are called to love all people regardless of their moral choices. Because we have family members that are not living the Christian life and they're in same-sex relationships. And so, you know, we are called as Christians to love all people and do good to all people. I'm so glad you added that. Because if the only thing you... You, you start out with is, you know, yeah. the kind of, even if you were calm in how you said it, you know, this still is wrong still and it's fear. good. So you want that balance. You have yeah. grace and truth. Mm-hmm. You have grace and truth right there. Yeah. This is how it's going to be. But, uh, but God loves, God loves broken people. That's right. Yeah. Otherwise we're in trouble, right? <laughs> and that's the whole point. And I think the, the thing that I learned, you know, I raised very, you know, legalistically. I myself was such a hypocrite. And, and my children, I would say we raised our children in a more performance-based home than a grace-based home. Mm. Even as Reformed people, we, we had our Reformed rules, you know. But looking back, I would say we were a little bit heavy on the performance side. Mm. And obviously their performance rules were not what I grew up with or what he grew up with, but they were still our performance rules and not grace-based enough. I think my some of my... One of my children, she, she, they're married, and they have two kids who are teenagers, and I think they have a little bit more balance now. Mm. But it's really hard to know what are the important things, what are the roles that you really emphasize, yeah. and what are not. But you must make sure that that child feels safe to talk to you. But at the same time, they have to talk respectfully, because yeah. their whole world is speaking disrespectfully. No, no doubt. And so, yes... I, um, I'll, I'll hear you. I want to hear you. What you think and feel is important. But um, you do have to say this respectfully to Daddy and Mommy, mm. um, which is really hard. Yeah, so do you think that giving a, uh, the kids a biblical worldview, because um, uh, you know, parents are going to listen to this, and they're going to be wondering, like, I want to be able to give my child the gift of not only a biblical worldview, but also the skills to navigate uh, an anti kind of Christian culture, at least we're moving that way very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to that parent if they were like, how do it help me? <laughs> what do I do? Like, Well, we all want to, everyone wants to protect their children. Sure. I mean, you make sure they get medical care, the best education you can. Um, they want, you want to protect them from making bad decisions. Every good parent wants yeah, to do absolutely. that. But we as believers want to equip them with a, with a worldview. I mean, right, right now I'm thinking the very best thing we could do for our kids 
and I'm thinking my grandchildren right now, is to um, talk to them about the Word of God. In other words, do little simple Bible studies Mm -hmm. and where they're free to to talk about it. Ask questions. Yeah, ask questions. So there's nothing in the Bible that's off limits. Mm. Because if you just go through the Bible, you're going to get sex abuse, you're going to get murder, you're just pretty much everything. Um, And naming names of who left the faith. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's all there. um, But be consistent. And uh, uh, worldview. You know, that whole idea of worldview... I don't know that we've defined that either. Okay, so what? Here's See, what I, you want me to say. Yeah, what I mean? You, you or, say what you mean. So what I mean by worldview is the way we view the world. Uh, we need to give a lens for how to interpret reality, uh, and the Bible has a clear interpretive lens to see. So I, I always use the C.S. Lewis illustration. I tweak it a bit, but he said, in effect, I don't believe in the sun or star because I see its light. He said, but rather, by its light, I see everything else. And so then he said, I don't believe in Scripture, or maybe I'm, I'm inferring this. I don't believe in Scripture um, because in it I see truth, but rather, by its truth, I see everything else. That's what I mean by yeah. worldview. Okay. So you see... It's your grid. It's your Yeah, grid. your lens, your, your filter, lens. the glasses yep. by which you see. So g- God does define gender. God does define sexuality. Mm -hmm. God does define true justice versus a a false Mm -hmm. form of justice. God does define the problem. God does. So, and and I always, yeah, I always sum it up by, by these four headings. Um, How did we get here? Why are we here? What's wrong with the world? That's George's from Romans 1, 2, and 3. That's, that's right. Yeah. George always used that Romans 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. And so, but that's what I mean. What, yeah, what are you thinking? You know, it's, I guess I just want to take it a little, I don't know if I want to say a step further or deeper. Okay. But when you give them the grid, because that's a big grid. The Word of God is not, is not a simple grid. No, not at all. It's, very <laughs> it's not the Ten Commandments. No. It's not the Sermon on the Mount. It's, you really have to it's go. It's all encompassing. It's very, and, and, and there's got poetry, and mm-hmm. you have narrative, and there's so much there. And it's beautiful and complex. So if we're teaching that to our children as their worldview, okay, let's look at the world around us through that lens. Um, you just want to make sure that you're letting them helping them interpret let's say there's a piece of music that their friends are saying oh have you seen have you heard this song or yeah. have you seen this movie yeah and so you say yeah let's watch it together mm-hmm. and let's talk about it but just remember we will be pausing it and discussing not, what just happened there. yes we are not going to wait till you get to the end when you decide you're you're done you're running away you're not going to talk about it anyway so no we're, we're going to watch this thing that i probably don't think is all that good i wish those wish that other person's parents didn't let them, but, but okay, we'll watch it. Mm. And let's just talk about it from a biblical worldview. Let's see from the grid of God's Word. But let them talk about the things. It's just so need to process out loud with that parent mm. and that there's nothing that shocks the parent. Mm. You have to say, this is what the Word of God says. You're firm and loving. But in the area of sexuality, if... 
if they can't ask you really hard questions. Yeah. Like embarrassing questions. Embarrassing questions. And then they know, oh, well, here's an area that mom or dad got pretty uncomfortable with, so I'll just ask my friend Mm. on the street or whatever. Yeah, who do you want them getting the answers from? Exactly. You? So you start early. And 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 then each child will respond differently. Like, I'll never forget when my first was seven, a boy who didn't pay any attention to these things, and the next was a girl, five-year-old girl, Ruth. And then the next one was four, Nicole. And, you know, you're, remember, these are teachable moments. Children bring things up not when you want them to bring right, it up. Right, that's true. So we're driving along in the car, and Ruth says, where do babies come from? And I had... How old is she? Five. And um, I was running a crisis pregnancy center. So I had prepared well for this mm. for so many reasons. And I said, oh, Ruthie, daddies plant the seed in mommies. I thought that was brilliant for a five-year-old. It's true. Well, she thought about that for a while. She said, but mommy, where's the dirt? (laughs) What a great question. Great question. (laughs) They they take it so literally, right? Well, of course they do. They're not not into concrete thinking. It starts early, and then abstract gets much later on. (laughs) So I told her the real thing very comfortably, very carefully. Mm. Seven-year-old paid no attention. The four-year-old paid no attention. But she processed my answer for a while, and she goes, Mommy, does that happen in the bedroom? <laughs> and I said, yes, it does. And that was all. We never had to... That was it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Hmm. And then later on, I'm, other questions. But, but, but it's so important to give them the space and the mm. safety and that you're comfortable. Nothing shocks you, even though some will shock Like internally you're shocked. Internally but, you're shocked. Yeah. Oh, okay. wonder which, which friend brought that up. Yeah. You know... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, or they're they because then they can come home from school or any other places they were and say, "What does this word right. mean?" You know, I got in trouble for saying, you know, "suck." Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, well, I can yeah. tell you what it used to mean, but here's what it means now. Yeah. So they need to feel like their parents are so so safe that there isn't anything that. So you bring the word, you bring the grid, but they're not going to get the grid. You know, so. <laughs> Expand that. What do you mean by that? Well, they're not. They don't understand how where you're coming from, and they just know that my parents take me to church, and we we believe the Bible is amazing. Mm. <laughs> they, they don't understand the complexity. They don't understand right. how you studied. Right. They're relate your children's relationship with God. By the way, it's it's sometimes quite sincere and pure. Well, yeah, and isn't that interesting? It, because Jesus says, unless you become like little children, yes, you know, you will not inherit the kingdom. And so, what is it about little children? I've always thought about what about little children? Do you think he means? I think they're very, very trusting, and they're very, very teachable, and they're very, very needy. And so all those oh, things we need to be, I like those. right? Because yeah. they need, if we leave them alone, they're going to die. I mean, Maybe helpless. Trusting, helpless. Yeah, like they're, they're, in one sense, they're very needy and very helpless, and they need someone to, to help them or they're going to not survive. Like literally, if someone doesn't help them, they're not going to survive. And then on the other hand, they're also very trusting of certain, unless they've been abused, unless they've been traumatized. Yeah. Uh, they're trusting, and and so there's a neediness as well as like a simple trust that I think we as adults are supposed to have towards God. Not naive, like we're not called to be naive at Wise all. Wise as a serpent, innocent yeah. as a dove. Yes. But I think there's a uh, you know they, they have faith and they believe that you know my my kids believe the best about me, 
um, and they're not skeptical in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say that we should not be skeptical of things we read. We, you know, we should be discerning and we should read the word and, and things that are troubling us in the word. We should be discerning. and mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that's what it is. I think it's, there's a neediness, there's a helplessness. But then there's also this trust element of kids that they're just very, mm-hmm. it comes so easy to them in a sense. It does. And I think the mother and the father play an important role in being um, trustworthy. Oh, absolutely. But I think the dad more so. Why? Uh, um, especially for, well, for, for girls to make good choices in who they marry. I, I've seen this relationship. The, the, the closer she is to her dad, the more she trusts him. Um, and then, and that she can say to him what she really thinks and what she really feels, mm. and that he's so special to her, and he's commended her not only for being sweet and pretty, but also being creative and smart and mm. obedient and all other good things. You know, then then she is not. She gets to an age where she's interested in boys, but she's not desperate. She doesn't need them. Well, she yeah, they're not desperate to provide attention. because she got lots from dad. Yeah, that's good. So important. Yeah, it's really good. And then, so what would you say to, just to stay on that for one second, what would you say to people who have fostered or brought in children who had did not have that? Like, what would you say to that them? Is, that's hard to build. Yeah. It takes a long time to build. I know a husband and wife here in Pittsburgh, they adopted three teenage girls who were from very, very difficult homes, mm. extremely abused. And re- reactive attachment disorder, um, and the mother was great, but the ass- the biggest asset was the father, because hmm. he he played with them. He spent so much time with them. The Lord used him uh, in a critical role hmm. with these three, and and now the mother just died a couple months ago hmm. of some strange illness. But that dad is doing so well, and those girls are doing well. Well, you know, I'm not in any way minimizing the role of right, the mom. Right, of course. By no means. Well, there's a design of God in in a uncursed, unbroken yes. world. There would be a mom and a dad, and they would be unified, and they would be together, and there'd yes. be a loving security there. And then the kids would be in that environment. That's mm-hmm. the design. Now, sin has broken it. The curse right. has broken it. Satan has broken it. But One thing they should also see when they're parents, and I teach this in my in this book I'm writing, is that if if couples, married couples, Christian married couples, would live out... An, app- an age-appropriate level of, of intimacy and showing that they really care about each other. Like affection? Intimacy? Affection, yeah. Um, then the message to the young people is, hey, the longer you're married and the more committed you are to each other, the more you actually do care about each other. Mm. And your romance is better. Mm. And even what happens in the bedroom's better. Mm. Because the message their culture gives them, it's only good when you're... Before you're married, so you better get it yeah, down. As soon as you get married, as soon as you get married, it's going to go downhill <laughs> yeah, really fast. That's true. And uh, um, so I'm. I'm and really, sadly, that's the experience of a well, lot of, of people. Well, of course it too, is. You so. have exhaustion. You yeah. have children. You have careers. Yeah. But what what I hold out, and I will in my in my book, is that um, if you're willing to see the whole picture, mm. um, the and and really know your own body and your spouse's body. Um, and understand it, and communicate, and pray, it's going to get better and better and better and better and better. Mm. And I'm going to say in my book, and George is okay with me saying this, he's gone now, but he was okay. I said, for 30 years it was B-, and for 17 it was A+. 
and it was the first 30 years. I love it. And that's because you, you're, you know, you're so busy. Mm. You're exhausted. You're too old, too sick. No, you're not too old. You're too sick, too tired, too fat. Um, or you think you're too ugly. Mm. Or you've been abused. There's so many things yeah. that mess up that issue. Well, you, in, so you brought this up. Let's talk about it. The, uh, the book, what's it called? From Duty to Delight, okay. Sexual Intimacy for the Whole Woman. And mm. I'm writing it for women, but okay. I imagine husbands are going to look I'm sure they'll read it. Yeah, they'll look in. They, yeah, they, I hope they do. Yeah. Uh, they'll learn a lot. You should put uh, a chapter in there for guys so they will. I probably should. Yeah. That is an interesting point. Um, but um, I, the reason that I wanted to write it wasn't just my own story. Where I thought, how how can I be B minus for thirty years and A plus for that? Which is what, um, is because so many women I counseled would come in, and and you just had these extremes, mm. um, because if people have been abused, either end up touch me nots or, or yeah, very hypersexualized, yeah, hypersexualized, yeah. yeah. very promiscuous. Have you ever, real quick, yeah, sidebar. Um, have you ever found out why one goes one way and one the other? Have you ever noticed that or thought about it? What's inside of them that drives them one way? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the unique each person. Mm. What's in them? I'm thinking of a touch-me-not um, person. Um, she was very shy anyway. Mm. Gotcha. But I'm thinking now of somebody I counseled for a long time who became very promiscuous and had four abortions. Um, she was naturally an outgoing mm. person. Interesting. You know, but again, each of them, like the person who becomes pr- promiscuous thinks that's all they're good for. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that hey, I'm I'm ruined anyway. I'm never going to have a, this, but I can have this, and and then there's so it's a cycle, terrible, mm. terrible cycle. But um, let's see, how did I start that? Help me back. We were talking about the book, and you said that you were going to write, then yes. maybe include guys, maybe not. Yes, and then um, uh, oh, the counseling, the kind of women I counseled. So I would also have those who were raised in very conservative homes. And they had a view of modesty that was extreme. Mm. Now, it wasn't necessarily that they'd been abused, but, you know, uh, Grandma and Mama told them that... Um, what, I actually had a case like this. A woman came in, and, and the, uh, it was her first time with me, and she said, am I, am I dressed okay? She looked at her blouse, mm. and she said, is this okay? I mean, she's in counseling with a, a woman. She says, okay. I said, looks fine to me. I said, what's wrong with it? She said, well, you can see I have breasts. Wow. Yeah. So we, we're not talking about tight. You know, we would want inappropriate. No, she just, she wanted something. She was taught to have it so baggy, mm. so tent-like, yeah. that you weren't even sure whether you were male or female. Wow. And she, and she was very nervous about that, you know. And this was from a conservative, conservative evangelical Christian woman. Yes. Home. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Um, very sad. Hmm. And then those who you know just dreaded it, um, or you know. so. And I also found out that twenty to thirty percent, um, they would like a lot more sexual intimacy. Twenty thirty percent of the women wanted hmm. more, and then and then some were happy with what they had, and there was those who wanted a whole lot less. Hmm. So I'm just seeing. So much. Um, Does that potential. come up a lot when you're counseling women? Is that a major? Sometimes. Okay. And sometimes, I mean, usually it's it's conflict um, with husband or kids. Um, it could be sexuality. Well, you know, they say the three biggest conflicts are money, sex, and children. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is I add communication to that, but yeah. Well, but you're communicating, the, but you're communicating about all three children. You're Absolutely. communicating about sex. You're Absolutely. communicating about money. Yeah. So yes, it's communication. Yeah. I, what I say to people is the communication is the one that if you could get that, you could then talk about the other three in a healthy way and work on it. Yes. But you have to you get the communication. You speak the truth in love one, and right? don't assume. Yes. So I cut you off. Sorry. No, no, no. I asked you if female sexuality was an area you counseled in a lot and yeah, did it come more up more and a more lot? and more and more because it was uh, it, it was really a big problem. Mm. And um, and I find that it was if I could get them to to really really improve that area of their lives, they they were happier with each other. Mm. Now, good sex doesn't fix lousy communication, but you mm. rarely get good sex without good communication. It does happen. Interesting. Not Expand on that. Um, yeah, well, there are people. You don't who have are, to give your whole book no, away. Fight. <laughs> no, no. You know they would they would fight like cats and dogs. And then they'd make up with have all this passionate sex and think, we have a great sex life. Hmm. Um, after they were angry at each right, other. Right. You know, which isn't common. Usually, you know, emotional, when somebody's not getting along, they have a very hard time, especially the woman, giving sure. to her husband. Oh, yeah. But occasionally you'd get somebody who, you know, said they had a great, great passionate sex life and they were terribly angry at each other hmm. much of the time. That's a That's small, rare. That's rare. Yeah. That's rare. Hmm. So, but anyway, I just saw Christians thinking that they could have so much more. And then I read everything that was out there. Sure. Much by secular, but almost everything written by Christians. Mm. And nobody spoke to the whole woman. Mm. By that, what do you mean? The whole well, woman? Well, the, the inner man, out, inner person, outer person. They, they, they might, it used to be in the 70s that the books were about, um, you know, how to dress sexy for your uh, husband, how, the right candles, the right perfume. <laughs> it was all about that. Outer stuff. Yeah. Well, really environmental, but, it, it sounds but, but, like. But also emotional, you know, like, yeah. But nobody ever talked about maybe understanding how God made you. Mm. Which would be the biology. You biology, were anatomy. I, I would say to women, I said, do you realize that God put more nerve endings on the head of, 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 of the clitoris than on the glands of the penis? More nerve endings. Hmm. What for? That's a design issue. It's a design yeah, issue. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's not used for anything else. Right. Exactly. Well, I did that. Hmm. And just because what? I ask him how. Well, you know, do they know how their main sexual organ? What's what it looks like? What is it shaped like? Most of them don't know. Hmm. They don't know. They don't know. Now, do you think that's because of in some Christian circles that's like? Immoral, like, like oh, it's all you, dirty. Yeah, yes. you teach. I do an entire chapter on the history of how did the church get here, mm. and just remember what Augustine and Jerome. And oh yeah, they were yeah, they were especially mass. Augustine. Yeah, oh, he, yeah, but so was Jerome, and yeah. <laughs> See, they, I haven't. I don't know much about Jerome. A lot of them, mm. and I said, well, they were so busy working on the Trinity and the two natures of Christ that the role of women in sex had to wait for a couple <laughs> more millennia. Right. <laughs> well, you had the you know the whole. The Catholic priests went celibate, and like it was almost seen as like this is an immoral thing to do. Well, Gnosticism took over, and you know, so the body was evil. Yeah, and that that really messed things up for a long, long time. And then, then the Catholic Church, you had nuns and priests, and so to be spiritual was to to not be married, right. and not have sex. Right. But of course, the real truth is there was lots of sex going on between the priests and the nuns. Mm. They were having abortions, and those babies were 
were were were killed. Mm. I mean, it's awful when you really get into the nitty gritty of, of of what of what a happened. lot of what was going and on over Victorian, the years. And then Victorian attitudes came in, and and I I go through all of it. But we we really haven't done a great job. Mm. And I think having a when I say holistic for the whole woman, I just mean where where the inner person is is also. Uh, is not more important than the outer person. Mm. We're a whole, but God made us whole people. Yeah. And and we know Jesus said, well, the heart, you know, what? it's not what um, goes, into goes a person in, that defiles. what defiles is what comes out. And I, I know we have to keep that in balance, though, with First Corinthians, is it 2 Corinthians 7, 1? Purify yourself from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Mm. Got several places. The inner man and the outer man are put together. Yeah. It, there isn't this huge wedge between. It's and not most a dualistic of the, Most situation. of the, message, the messages are so often spiritual. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to communicate. Um, you know, let's deal with abuse and what that did. And all those things are really, really important. But if you don't know how to exercise to, to for, I mean, most people think that exercise is unimportant. It's very, very important for sexual fulfillment. Hmm. Um, nutrition for blood flow. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys don't have to think about nutrition for blood flow, but women do. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, how your anatomy is made. Feel, oh, negative. Oh, here's one. Negative body image. Mm, women have that's terrible, yeah. terrible negative body images. Yeah, that's... I, I have a whole chapter on hypersubmission and negative body image. Mm. Um, because they... Hypersubmission? Hyper, hypersubmission. Oh, in the church... There are denominations that I think don't have a biblical balance of view of submission, and it's hyper-submission. Mm. So these women are hyper-submissive. So they would not speak up to their husbands. Mm. They, they they would think... It's like Ephesians 5 without 21. That you got it. Yeah. That's it. Mm. And so even the sermons tend to be more toward, you know, the wife's responsibility. It's not equally balanced. And um, hyper-submission. So I had so many women come in who were hyper-submissive. Mm. So, you know, we, we, we fought radical feminism, and we thought the problem was not enough submission. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then you ended up with the liberal churches with maybe some unbiblical form of feminism, radical feminism even. Yeah. But then, then we just, it, it went to the opposite extreme, yeah. and it was, well, I'm, I'm not a feminist. I'm, I'm, you know, I have so many women worried that they're not submissive enough. And I said, well, maybe you're not. Let's talk about this. Mm. What is your, you know... Tell me about your relationship. What is your attitude? Yeah. Um, so hypersubmission is there. Yeah. Maybe it's not as... In certain circles, it's big. No, I could see that. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, and then what was the other... You, you had a two-part... Oh, negative part body thing. image. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they kind of go together. The women who are hypersubmissive have a very negative body image. Some of hmm. them do. You know, their body, oh, damn, don't show it. Hmm. But then, then now we have an entire... The opposite true, where there's... Where there's so much immodesty mm-hmm. and flaunting, mm-hmm. and you have to look a certain sort of way, mm-hmm. that's very yeah. hard. There's a, you know, it, it. You could consult some of the younger people too. There's a ton of filters on the uh, on the Snapchats and the uh, these apps that f- literally change your facial oh, yes. image and your. You know, you can look different from an app that you post on your. Facebook sure. or whatever, you know, your Twitter oh, account or your Instagram. But then you see them in real life and you're like... Is that the same person? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be the Dove commercials, you know, that, that they, they they would take somebody and, and do so much to them. And then and they would be on the, the billboard. And you'd go, that's not even the same person. Right. 
but now you can do it to yourself. Yeah, easy, like with a couple yes. clicks. I know. Yeah. And again, it's it's so superficial. Um, and uh, and what for our teenage girls, they tend to mature more than the boys, and so some of them are bemoaning the fact that they can't find any um, boys that are you know, interested in what in them as people. Mm. You know, I can believe that. There. And then, of course, then we've lost our ability to communicate eyeball to eyeball. That affects... Um, because of the know. digital revolution. Oh, yes, the yeah. digital revolution. Yeah. We, only, we only know how to text. Mm. And you don't even read tone in a text. Oh, yeah. Um, or you read the negative tone into oh, it. Oh, you're, yes, you read the negative tone into it. Mm. So our, our young people, for a good, healthy, a biblical, I would call it biblically balanced view of their own sexuality... It's. It, I think every generation gets harder and mm. harder, and I just hoping that somebody would be blessed by this book. That's great. I don't know. I think it's middle-aged women are going to like it. I don't think any teenage girls are going to like it. Although I must admit, I've given this talk at women's conferences, and I've had like college girls and even high school girls come up and say, "I've never, never heard a Christian talk about your pelvic floor." <laughs> yes, and. Then, and I had a husband. Do they say it quietly like that, too? Yes, pelvic <laughs> And then I gave this talk one time, and uh, and and it was like on Facebook where the where the people listening could comment, and I was talking about multiple sequential orgasms, and, and one husband, he was beside himself <laughs> that that I would be talking about this. So he commented that on the on the yes, chat. Yes, like, yes, yes. How what? dare you? What? <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but then there's pressure. You want couples that that can't achieve what they'd like to achieve, and they have they have all kinds of low libido. That's my chapter: too old, too sick, too tired, too mm. fat. That's the name of the chapter. Yeah, That's too old, a great too sick, name. too tired, too fat. Yeah. Although great. I'm going to spend a whole lot. I want to spend a whole lot more time on the solution than describing the problem. Mm. So I might even divide it into different chapters. Okay. And just make it be a, a, a part. I don't know. I just need a lot of wisdom. Mm. A whole lot of wisdom, because the the easy chapters for me are chapters like the history chapter and the and the biblical view of sexuality chapter, but but too old, too sick, too tired, too fat. Those are gonna be really hard. Mm. It's gonna be hard. Can you? I mean, you have so many. How many years of counseling experience? Well, twenty formally, but then yeah. as a pastor's wife before a that, lot. But 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 twenty formally. Yeah. So like you have so much experience though. Uh, like you know, there, there's a theory. Uh, that that is one thing, but then there's the experience realm, which you have even more of, which I think is the real deal. That's like the unfiltered, raw. They're in my living room, you know, that kind of raw. You know, you have that, and so you. I think that's you could draw from that in tremendous ways. You know, well, I'm hoping to, because after the Lord took George home, my first response was, "Oh, good, I don't have to write this book." <laughs> Why? Because he was pushing you to write it. Well, I, I felt called to write it. He wanted me to write it. But then when I lost him, I thought, how do I write a book oh, on see. something that personal as a widow? Mm. You know, after you've had a really good relationship yeah. in that area for so long. Yeah. Now I'm a widow. Mm. Okay. Now, now how do I write this? Realistically, I'm being very blunt. How do yeah. I write this? You know, and be okay with this. Okay, I was just saying, God, you can have to guide me every step of the way because I don't have a clue mm. how I'm going to feel about writing this. Yeah. You know, it's going to make me really sad. Sure. Probably. 
I miss him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great man. Yeah. In fact, some days I used to laugh. I think maybe our relationship was too good because your children, let's say you get adult children who are in their tw- 20s and 30s and aren't married yet. They haven't found, you know, they they are looking for someone just like, mm. you know, who married dear old dad. Yeah. You know, and so I found that I think some of my children look at our marriage and think, really, what? I'd like a marriage like my mom and dad had. It was really, really great. It, was, it had its sins, believe me. Of course, yeah. But, um, like a, but I haven't found anybody, so anyway, some of my, some of my children are up in years and single. <laughs> <laughs> but I know they want to be married sure. and have kids, and I think God will provide that. But, yeah. but we married young. I mean, he was 25 and I was 23, well, so that's young. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And and people are delaying marriage now. Oh, but yeah, into but it is it is harder. And... It's harder. I mean child rearing when you're older is It's exhausting. It is exhausting. At yeah. twenty you can chase them a little better, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, um I'll be forty this year and, and I have a two year old at home and it's, <laughs> it's that's tiring. right. That's right. Wait wait till he's big enough to wrestle with you. Oh yes. my yeah. Okay. He already tries now, but yeah. <laughs> Soon he shall me up short. Yes. Well, you know what? What is good? I think it's good to wrestle, even with your daughters. And one thing daughters will tell me, I'll say, did your dad play with you? Yeah, but then when I got to be a teenager, he stopped. Mm. And and, um, and I said, what do you think that was? Oh, I guess he just thought it was awkward. But I have seen fathers, good fathers, actually, they're in my family, who have always wrestled with their kids mm. and continue to wrestle with them, including a daughter yeah. Well, they're all together. Yeah. Yeah, they're all together, all wrestling. I just think that's so yeah. important. Not just hugs, but I love to see. But it's hard to do these days because if you accidentally touch anybody in the wrong way, somebody's going to, yeah. oh, so it's, it's really, really hard for, for, for you know, now to, to wrestle with kids and tickle. It's a tough world. Yeah, it's sad because so much of the negative, the, the perverted of that yes. has... It's public. They've hijacked our yeah. beauty. Yeah, yeah. Are the good things. Yeah, there's a, a lot of even non-Christian studies that talk about the benefits of, like, roughhousing with kids. Oh, they learn yes. boundaries. They learn, oh. you know, all kinds of, of yeah. life skills from that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I, my wife messes with me. She's like, you're too rough with those girls because I, you know, I pick them up and I slam them. We have a trampoline. And yes, have, yes. Yeah, and so I, I hope to not get awkward. I know exactly what you're saying. Like, yes. when they're young, you yes. Know, that you can slam them around and they can jump on you and pile on you and it's sure. not weird. But they do it when, you know, like my, this relative of mine, he'll wrestle with his 16-year-old daughter and his 13-year-old son together. Yeah. yeah. Together. They want to get yeah. dad down. Yeah. And they're at an age where they just smell Ken. <laughs> but great. it's so fun, you know. Yeah. And, and that's, so because that's you're holy not, and beautiful. It's not like dad's doing, you know, wrestling with his 16-year-old daughter by himself right. somewhere. But they're all together. Right. Right. And we're cheering them on. Right. Go. Right. And that's appropriate. That's, that's appropriate. There's a holy yes. beauty inside of family that if there's nothing perverted there, you know. I know. That's a beautiful thing. But we shouldn't let, you know, the evil one take that Hijack from us. that. Yeah, that's good. Yes. But it's really hard not to. Yeah. I agree with that. It's very hard not to. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. Any more questions about anything in my book? Yeah, I would. There's I, a whole lot I don't know. I just want everybody to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have all the answers. Yeah, I we're not have... experts in all areas. Oh, That's no. just impossible. No. But you have so many years of counseling. I, I, I am curious. Um, 
if you could say, all right, this is one area or two or three areas that most people came to me for this, most mm-hmm. ladies came to me for this, what would it be? If there was one, two, three? Oh, depression, anxiety, all related to any conflict. Mm. To those loneliness, the, isolation, depression and anxiety, mood, mood swings, which I mean, you know, depression includes mood swings. You, if, if you've got, if you're bipolar, you have highs and lows. Oh, yeah, for sure. And if you're on medicine for depression, it can cause anxiety. If, mm. if you're on medicine for anxiety, it can cause depression. So that, that, that was the most common. Anxiety it, and depression, you would say? Yeah, anxiety and depression. Okay. Yeah. That it, or or um, a single woman coming wondering if she's ever going to get married. Well, mm. she's anxious and depressed because she wonders if she ever is going to get married. Yeah. So the source of the anxiety and depression, depression. might be different, but the symptoms. Very. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I. 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 I can't get out of bed. Uh, I don't want to do anything anymore. Um, or conflict with husband, and and now I've, and now I just don't. You know, I don't even want to be around him. You know, I don't care anymore. Mm. Um, How do you? What do you say to them to help them? And it's probably individual cases. But yeah, it definitely is. Generally, what, what do you say to help them? Well, first we want to find out what their relationship with the Lord is. Okay. That's first off. They, they fill out a PDI, but that doesn't tell you what their real relationship with the Lord is. Mm. Um, what I, I quickly try to find out is where they get their worth, their identity. Mm. Identity's big. Identity's big. Where's your purpose? What's your worth? Where's your identity? Where do you get that? You know, and sometimes I'll even ask him, what, what did you get affirmed for if, uh, when you were little, if anything? Because, mm. you know, let's say they you know, got straight A's or... Yeah. Um, or their beauty. Or their or beauty their, or their talent. And sure. they were great this or great that. Or if they were good at nothing or the parents said, you're not going to make anything yourself. You're mm. good for so nothing. So a negative identity. Oh, yeah, then all that. Then they're trying to prove themselves in some area, but they're not. So... One of my major tools, I have two tools I use the most, but the one I would say I use more than anything is designing a truth statement. Mm. I say it's it's actually more effective than medicine. I'm not mm. anti-medicine, yeah. but it's more effective. So we so designed a truth, truth statement? statement. I'll give you mine, and because it's a great example. Okay. It starts with the word ultimately. Mm. You have to know this is ultimate. This isn't... Now, ultimately, my value, my worth, my identity comes from who I am in union with Christ. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. Christ is my life. Mm. It does not come from... Now, we have to design the knots. For me, when things were really rough with some of my kids, it does not come from how my children are doing. Mm. Yeah, that's a big one for mothers. Mm-hmm. How are my kids doing? How happy my marriage is. And I had a great marriage, but still... Mm-hmm. Um, the condition of my house. Mm. Some people like the cleanliness or oh, the yeah, orderliness or, or whatever yeah. you think is, mm. you know, or what anybody thinks about me. Mm. Opinion of others, or what I think about myself. Mm. And we just add the more whether I ever ever write a book or not, or whether anybody thinks I'm a good counselor or not, mm. or where anybody likes your sermons or not. Yeah, there you go. Or, let's say, ultimately. See, that's why I put in ultimately. Because like it is important to be a good father. And yeah, you don't want to say none of that matters. No, oh, no, I don't want to say none yeah. of that matters. But I want to start with the ultimate 
your identity is who you are. It's union with Christ. Mm. It just takes the theology of the union with Christ and turns it into a statement. It makes so it I, concrete. And makes it, and I make them say it every day out loud with conviction. So you're saying you design the knots with in, them for their particular on, yes. situation. So their knots are all going to fit there. And they change. Mm. You know, like a couple years later when your kids are doing better and you're all freaked out because of... Oh, you don't have money. You got COVID or whatever. Any yeah. anything, or somebody told called you a racist. That was a cause for anxiety for me not too long ago. Mm. Someone I love very much told me I was a racist. Hmm. I was very offended. Oh yeah, I can see why. That's right. Um, but then I had to realize, you know, what's going on in them. Mm. What do they mean by those words? And and I'm, uh, hey, I'm a Calvinist. I believe in total depravity. I shouldn't have any problem telling what a sin <laughs> I am or what. That's right. Yeah. So okay, I shouldn't have really been that offended. <laughs> so you see, so that's it. So it's the truth statement. I use mm. that enormously in counseling. Okay. And every time they come in, their most important homework they did that day, that week, was maybe not the book they read. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did you do your assignments? Did you write? Did you say your truth statement every day out loud with conviction? Mm. Say your truth statement. Well, that's have that's you found that very helpful for people? Yeah. Extraordinarily. Mm. Extraordinarily. It was for me. I started it six years ago. Wow. I discovered it for myself how much it helped me. And then I thought, I'm gonna try this with others. And the more I you know, and the more convicted they are. I mean I mean the more and the more they do it, then that, that sets in. So then when this this anxious thought comes then if they've said they've just said that this morning, they said it every day for the last four months. They say, Oh, well ultimately my, my identity is who I am in union with Christ. Christ is my life. Yeah. It's not because my husband just said that I did it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or your kid said, I hate you. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Or you're a terrible mother. Oh, you're or, a terrible I mother. Hate, yeah. Or, or how come your church is so small? Yeah. Or, mm. or all these things that, yeah. you know, that's your identity. So you go, oh, okay, it's not going to stress me out. Yeah. Or why do Presbyterians fight so much? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. So it's it's your idea. It's your it basically is just taking union with Christ, which is a theological idea, making it personal, and then repeating it to yourself. That's yeah. basically what it's. You doing. and I've talked about this before. I'm I'm curious if you've gone further. We've talked about um, neural pathways. Neural pathways. Yeah, yes. and 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 how they are a real thing in like brain science, and how a truth statement said over and over can create new neural pathways where we might go down this pathway that's always leads to a panic attack. And yes. You know, where now we're going to re- yeah, reroute the... Yes. Can you expand on that? Well, I mean, God made us whole people. Yeah. The inner man affects the outer man. The outer affects, man affects the inner man. And we are habituators. So, so if you've thought one thought over and over again for many, many years, like I'm a loser mm. or... A grandiose person who said, I'm the most amazing person in the world. Sure. I mean, it can go both ways. Yeah. And you've thought that and thought that and acted on it. So you do have a neural pathway that says thus and such. you know, Or I have to be right. There about the neural pathway. I have mm. to be right on all things. Essential or non-essential, I have to be right. You know, mm. that's a neural pathway. Yeah. Just, you know, so how do you form a new pathway? The Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. Well, the mind is a spiritual term, not a physical term, but the mind is your is, is thought processes, and you think with your brain, which is so interesting. God thinks. 
without he has a, brain. a mind and he doesn't yeah. have a brain. Oh, yeah. God thinks without a the, Jesus got a body, but God the Father doesn't have yeah, a right. brain. So anyway, that's a little about me. But but for the for we're whole people yet. Mm-hmm. We haven't died. Our spirit hasn't left our body. Mm-hmm. So you can you can form new habits. You can transform your mind by making your that's why people are so helped by singing amazing songs, scriptures, listening to sermons. So when somebody comes to me, I remember one person came and he said, I'm just so depressed. He and his wife were there and they were both miserable. And he and I said, I don't know why I asked this, I said, What do you do in the evenings? He said, Well, I watch two hours of Duck Dynasty and three hours of Fox News. I said, Well there is a there is a there, I think that's a recipe for depression. Let's 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 do Did you tell them to take out the Duck Dynasty or the Fox News? Both. Which one? I told them they could have one hour Duck Dynasty nice. and one hour Fox News. That's funny. Then they had to listen to sermons and sing yeah. and go love as well. Yeah. But uh, that's funny. She didn't want to be around him at all. He was so miserable. Mm. Um, so, it, well, the Philippians 4, whatsoever things are good, you know. Yeah, 4 8. And yeah. remember, conservatives are just as lost as liberals. That's right. They don't have any gospel unless they, I think, I would imagine that more of them actually do know the gospel and believe the gospel, but they're not allowed to say it on the news anyway. So, mm-hmm. unless you're in the Christian news station, which. Nobody gets stuck on listening to that one. Yeah, I don't the know podcast why. world has it opened po- up new opportunities. Oh, has it? Yeah, okay. it has. Yeah. But, but again, you but just yeah, have to the make sure networks. that you are filling your mind. So if you're getting anxious, and a lot of people are getting anxious with COVID, and uh, we have race wars, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and your your retirement accounts are thinking rapidly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you you just can't sit there and think, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if my what if my whole neighborhood blows up and, you know, and what if I never go back to church and yeah. and what if I don't have any money to retire on? You just can't stay there. You have to, I mean, the Bible teaches, be wise, you know, plan. Mm-hmm. It's foolish not to plan. Yeah, that's all Proverbs. But if you do that, and, you know, and we were talking about faith and fear earlier mm-hmm. before yeah. we put this on. Yep. You know, we'll be wise as a serpent. That's planning. Mm-hmm. Innocent as a dove. That innocent as a dove is faith. Mm. I'm not going to give in to irrational fears. And uh, and so God just asked me to have self-control. Mm. He doesn't ask me to have other control. That's really helpful. So you want to, you know, obviously you have to control a young child, but you can't control your spouse's thoughts, and you can't control your teenager's texts mm. to some degree. Although I will say, my, my son-in-law... He has two teenagers, and all their texts come through his phone. Oh, yeah, I've seen those apps. Yeah. Yeah, all the activity can come Everything to you. comes through, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he and he. Kinda, that may be wise for a season because... Yes. The, you know, so I, you're, you're still controlling your own reaction to that. That's the sure, self-control. Absolutely. But there's there's so much attack on your kids. Mm. Um, again, you don't want to give them the opportunity to hide. But it is hard to know because, they'll, you know, kids will tell you, you don't trust me. And, of course, I told my children, yes, yes, certain areas, I really do trust you. And there are certain areas, Absolutely. I don't trust you at all. Yeah. Because, because, here's, your, because here's your strength and here's your weakness. I said, and when it comes to <laughs> controlling the amount of sugar intake, I hope you mm. never trust me. <laughs> but can, can you trust me to tell you the truth? Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, it, it, see, that's, that's so when somebody plays the game about, you know, trust. You tell them, well, yes, there is. I definitely trust you. 
Yeah. That would be really stupid if I trusted you in that area. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And same for me. I mean, you know, there are areas we're not trustworthy. That's right. Yeah. We shouldn't let our make our families think that they're they're supposed to trust us in areas. Let's say you have a temper. Lots of people have big, big tempers. Just angry oh, people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they shouldn't be trusted to control themselves. Mm. They need self control. Mm. But they, you know, they, they can't. Con- they barely control themselves. Right. Yeah, I think it, you said something that I think we could we could point at in this season especially, where people are isolated. That's number one because the the lockdown orders. Huge. So that's that's a fear thing right there, and then you know there's a lot happening in the culture that's all over the news and in the streets and 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 some of that is justified as we've talked. You know, uh, protesting, yes, violent, yeah. yes. anarchists, fight injustice every way you can. Yeah, but we're not fight for the the destroying of property and beating of people, uh, anarchist riots. We're not for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are seeing this on the news and they're frightened. And I, I think, and they're seeing their, their 401ks and their stocks drop and they're, you know, it's, it's, it looks to them to like Jesus is coming chaos. back. Yes, right? yes, there sure like, he is. <laughs> just say, you know what, there's, it says every tongue and tribe. I'm not sure yet. He hasn't, there are still quite a few tongues that don't have the Bible. Mm. But I hear what you're saying. People are anxious. Yeah, and and, and they want so, Jesus to come back, and yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah, come, Lord Jesus, come. I, I I would love to see this get wrapped up, and and Him to take over, be honored and glorified, and then the curse lifted. I'd love to see that happen. Um, f- is fear? Do we do this? Do we look into the future without faith, and then we look into the future with fear, which then comes back into the present and causes this like panic, anxiety freak out kind of sense is that what you think is happening with people or what do you think is going on as you've counseled well, it is. people it's, it's future because we we don't like to just live moment by moment we want to know well how is their college education going to get paid how am i going to have a comfortable retirement mm. we we're always looking ahead and there there is some wisdom to that like i said but if if you go too far ahead and you just don't trust God in the moment mm. and, and, and don't start. And that's what anxiety is. Well, what if this happens and what if this happens? And it grows. Then, then you're, you're, you just become fearful. You're overcome with fear. God only tells us to fear him, not fear others. And you're fearing, well, well if this person is elected president, this awful thing will happen. Mm. Well, if that person's in power, then this awful thing will happen. Yeah. If you don't get it that God's in control, if you don't have a sovereign God, What's that old hymn we used to sing? I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Yeah, that's good. Did you know that? Did you grow up with that one? I grew up. I've heard that as a quote. I don't know. No, it's a song. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. It's a secret known only. But anyway, that's kind of simplistic, but we better know. And that that person who holds the future loves you more than you can imagine. He loves you. And so would he, would he allow something to happen to you if it wasn't for his glory and you're good? Really? Well, but look what he allowed to happen. My husband died. Yeah. Um, my, my kid's in jail. My mm. daughter's in the psych hospital. What are you talking about? He allows horrible things to happen. Look at poor Job. Um, yeah. yeah, but what's he doing? What's mm. he up to? We say God's got something good up his sleeve. I just can't see very far up his sleeve. Sure, but but he's got some. He proved his love, and it's, it's, this centers on the cross. Okay. When so, when somebody's been providentially pounded, 
That's my husband's term. Providentially mm. bounded. One horrible thing after another, after another, <clears throat> after another. The only thing you really can do is look at the cross and the resurrection. And if, and then if the more you look at that, you say, okay, everything else is going to hell in the handbasket. But he proved his love right there. Mm. I have got an eternity with him. He's resurrected. My body's going to be resurrected. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be buried right there with my husband, and our bodies are going to go up and be reunited with our spirit. I don't even know what we're going to know about here, but we are going to have an eternity of glorious joy and peace and bliss and using our gifts. Although I don't think we'll have to counsel in heaven. (laughs) But but, will you have to do um, upholstery in heaven, Chris? I don't know. We'll see. I know. Maybe just for the aesthetics. If they want to change their... <laughs> you make a throne. You'll be making yeah, right. a throne. But my, my my point is when somebody's been through a hard time, and we all think we've been through a hard time, but sure. somebody's really, really had loss after loss after loss in a short period of time. Yeah. Real tragedy. That's ordained. You know, I've talked to somebody who lost four loved ones in such a short, short period of time. Mm. They're just reeling. Um, but they're a believer. Then, then if they're a believer, you can point them to those promises. If they're not, you can still tell them, would you like to know about the gospel? Mm. Here is, there's a Jesus who died to pay for every one of your failures. Mm. And, he, and, then he, and then he went to heaven, and right now he's at the right hand of Father, and he's praying for you now. Mm. With all your doubts, with all your fears, with all your depression, with all your panic, with all your, you know, whatever's going on, I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to lose my child. Now he's got this. Mm. He's got this. How do you apply sovereignty, which, you know, I, I just heard someone say to me the other day, if if sovereignty wasn't a true reality in the Bible, I would want it to be, you know. <laughs> thank, thank God it is a yeah, biblical, yeah. you know, it's, it's all over the Bible. But even if it wasn't, I would want it to be because it's so foundational. How would you counsel somebody in the moment like they're gripped by panic and they're freaking out and they're, you know, maybe they were just on Facebook or something and, and they're just like, f- they're freaking they're out. They're freaking out. Having yeah, a what panic do you do? attack right then and yeah, there. Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> I immediately started breathing. I, I breathe with them. So You've okay. had this happen in counseling oh, sessions? Oh, yes, they yes, have panic attacks? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. what do you do? Um, uh, you know, just somebody who's sitting there, you know, just like, <gasps> I mean, they are. You can't see it on here, but they are. They are over the top. Mm. Just heavy breathing. There, a bit, but not the good kind of deep breathing. Just panicked breathing, mm. hyperventilating, and you know, and yelling, and occasionally running out of the counseling room, mm. <laughs> down the street. Do you ever have to call the police? Oh yeah. Mm. Um. So, it's you immediately have got to get some oxygen up there, and get them calmer. So I have this one thing I call an anti-anxiety exercise. So I tell them, cross your, cross your arms, cross your legs right now. And then they're panicked. So they could even be rocking with anxiety. Cross it, okay? All right, what's that going to do? Just cross it. Now let's breathe. Breathe with me. Breathe with me. Breathe deeper. Breathe deep. This doesn't have to work. This is stupid. Through the deep. nose, out the mouth? Yeah, very deep. And as long, of course, when they're excited, they can't exhale very long. Mm. But what, you're, what I teach them is how to exhale long, long times. And the, and the deeper you can get them to breathe, the calmer they'll get, and the, and the shoulders will drop, and some of that incredible anxiety will drop. It won't go away. It'll just drop a little bit. Mm. It's and like manageable? I, manageable. And then I say, what's the, what's the most comforting Christ-centered song you've ever sung in your life? And most people know the answer right mm. then and there. What's the most Christ-centered, comforting song you've ever known in your life? So I start singing it with them. I start singing it. Okay, now you sing it. I can't, I can't, I can't.
I can't. Sing it. Sing it with me. Come on, sing it with me. You know, even if it's Jesus loves me or great is thy faithfulness or the 23rd Psalm, sing it. Come on, sing it. Sing it. I can't. Sing it. Keep your keep your arms and legs crossed. That's mm-hmm. another whole reason what that's about. Do the deep breathing. I can't deep breathe and sing at the same time. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Just because because you you have to do a little bit of the cross the midline, and and that brings down some of the anxiety. The deep breathing brings out a little more, and then we're at the place where they can actually sing. Mm. Then we sing. We just sing, sing. And another thing that's available now is an, an app called Abide. Mm. You've seen it, Mm-mm. Abide, no, and not. it's you can ha- uh, you can listen to two minutes, five minutes, or fifteen minutes, and it's all scriptures, with like really peaceful music in the background mm-hmm. or waterfall, yeah. and and uh, and somebody with the most gentle voice in the world just telling you, um, just either saying the verse or describing it. So so sometimes I'll say if if this doesn't work, just go turn on Abide, mm. you know something. That, that will take your mind off. And then don't go turn on the news again. Mm. Don't go back in that room and continue that argument that you were having, you know. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you've got to, if they're really panicked, um, we, we bring that. And so I, I give them a tool. I call it my anti-anxiety exercise. So let's say they're, they're, um, they're uh, afraid to go under bridges or go over bridges or through tunnels. Mm-hmm. They have panic attacks whenever they get near. Mm-hmm. So I teach them how to approach the bridge um, using the, the, the anti-anxiety exercise. Hmm. So. I'm assuming they're not driving. Oh, you can actually do it driving. Okay. <laughs> I hope nobody's a driving teacher hears about this. You can, with your, with your right foot on the gas, you can cross the midline by putting your left foot under. Hmm. Interesting. And if you're not turning a corner, you can cross your hands. That's true. I've so, done that. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so you have crossed the midline. Why is that important? Well, the serendipity. Okay. Um, occupational therapists who were teaching children um, who had never chosen a dominant hand. You know, if, if a kid hasn't, then they go to the occupational therapist, and there's this little um, exercise they give them where they take all the balls in one basket and they move them to another basket. Okay. So that arm is moving from one side to the other. Mm. You know, you have a midline in your sure. body, a nervous system midline. Okay, and they just noticed these kids were calmer. Hmm. So they did some studies, and they theorize this is not a fact. This is not proven that because your right brain controls your left side and your left brain controls the right side, so that when you're ner- when you're moving, when your limbs are crossing the midline, you are causing activity between your right brain and left brain. It causes something called the corpus callosum. Mm-hmm. It's a tissue there. And if nothing goes between there, or you happen to be a rare person who doesn't have one, you're in trouble. Mm. You need lots of interchange between your right brain and your left brain. Mm. It's a tissue, and there's interaction. So the theory is, again, we have no idea if it's true. So it's serendipity. So what they did was start teaching children. There's a website called Brain Gym. And for hyper children, they would teach them how to cross the midline. Mm. Yeah, But you can't teach a child. A child won't do this. An adult can. Mm. So for children, they have games where they cross the midline. That makes sense. To yeah. bring so down the anxiety. And, so they're active. Yeah. But an adult can cross. Sure. So like if I can't sleep at night, which happens to a whole lot of people have trouble sleeping, sure. uh, you lay in a position where you're crossing the midline. 
learn how to deep, 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 deep breathing. And deep breathing has been used by yoga sure. for centuries. But that doesn't make it... No, it's not. Un- no, it's not Hindu. Yeah. It's common sense. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then you pick your your Christ-centered song, and you sing it out loud. Unless your husband is asleep, then you <laughs> think it out loud. But anyway, but then again, you you form a neural pathway. So I've started that to help me sleep a couple years now. Okay. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation with Eileen Sipioni, and it went on for about another fifteen minutes. Sadly, we experienced some technical difficulties, and this is where our conversation had to end. However, I trust that you were encouraged and look out for a part two when Eileen is almost finished or finished with her book. Culture Conversations, out.